Well, let me welcome you. We have a lot of visitors this evening. Appreciate you being here. Tonight is kindergarten graduation night, and uh, we've got lots of parents, grandparents, relatives uh, have come to see that program immediately following this service. And those of you that aren't related or don't have a kindergartner, let me just advise you, this is a good show whether you got a kindergartner or not. Uh, it, it's worth staying for. So uh, if you haven't been through it, tonight would be a good time to give it a try. It's a good one of our best annual events here at Northside. Uh, little element of suspense to it, I guess, is what makes it good. You never know exactly what's going to happen, but it is good. Uh, let me start by apologizing a little bit. Uh, I know we've got a lot of kindergartners over near the room getting ready and uh, are ready to perform. We've got a lot of parents and grandparents that have come specifically to watch uh, their family member perform. Uh, so to subject you to a kind of in-depth uh, Bible study that's right in the middle of a great big series uh, is kind of cruel and unusual. Uh, uh, hit me today. I probably shouldn't do that. Uh, we probably ought to remember that kindergarten graduation is coming up and prepare uh, something special for Sunday night that's directed a little more toward the little ones. And uh, maybe I'll try to remember that next year. I don't know if I can start one more tradition or not, but we, we might try that. Uh, but tonight, all I can do, since we're in the middle of this series and I plan to carry on with this lesson, all I can do is promise you it won't last too long. Uh, I will cut it a little bit short and we'll get on with the, the kindergarten presentation. Uh, I do need to coach you just a little bit about the end of service when we're done with this uh, service. Uh, you, you're asked to clear out as quickly as you can if you are not staying. If you're staying and want to just stay in here, that's fine. But uh, if you're not staying for the program, please move on out. So uh, as soon as we get the stage arranged and the kids in here, we can uh, kick it off and get going. All right. Uh, we are in a series, and i got to do a little intro here, about what people want to know about the Bible. That's what we're talking about this year on Sunday nights. It comes from the concept of the thousands of questions that we've gotten over the years that know your Bible. And I pointed out that we get some really far out questions. We get some contentious people. We get some that want to argue about everything. But in general, the public just wants to know some real basic things. They respect the Bible. They think it's God's book uh, to some degree, whatever they've been taught about. Uh, they know it says certain things, and they've heard it says a whole lot of other things, and they just want to know what it says about some basic things. So that's what we're doing this year on Sunday nights, is going through some of those uh, questions that people want to know about. And uh, we're on the third topic of the year, and it's Bible basics. A lot of people just want to know some real basics about the Bible. What's the difference between the Old Testament and the New Testament? We talked about that for a couple of weeks. Uh, and this one that we're on last week and tonight and a little bit next week uh, is, are there errors in the Bible? A lot of people have heard that. Uh, 
I'm sure you've heard it. It's very easy to hear these days, especially on the Internet. There's all kinds of folks that say, can't trust the Bible. It's full of errors. It's all messed up. It's written by men. You can't trust it. There's not the right books in the Bible. Uh, It's not inspired, on and on and on. Uh, So we're taking that big question and kind of working through it. Uh, We talked last week, uh, the front part of the handout, about the Bible being inspired what that means. Uh, We talked about how we know we have the right books in the Bible, uh, the canon, the 66 books of the the Bible that are inspired. Uh, We talked about some other books that are not inspired and not included in the Bible. And then we finished by talking about manuscripts and uh, how they're preserved and how we got a good, very good, solid belief that what we've got is God's Word. Uh, tonight, we want to go to the back page and start talking about the errors, the, the contradictions, the discrepancies. And I showed you last week, uh, and I know it's too far away to really see, but page after page of laboriously written, uh, handwritten things that one of our Bible correspondence course students has been sending in to their grader. Uh, What this person has obviously done is found a list of contradictions in the Bible. And you can find those in two seconds if you've got a computer. Uh, Just sit down and Google for that. Discrepancies in the Bible, errors in the Bible. And there's all sorts of agnostics.org and uh, atheist.com and everybody else that will give you a list of all kinds of wrong things in the Bible. Uh, so this student's obviously found one of those and is just transcribing them and sending them in. Uh, I don't know if he really wants answers or if he's just testing us to see if we've ever heard of these before or, or what. Uh, but we have heard of them before. Uh, they've been around for hundreds and hundreds of years. Uh, somebody found a discrepancy it looked like and it made the list somehow. Uh, some of the lists are more... Honest than others, and some are pretty shabby, but there's a lot of lists out there. So instead of trying to answer a ton of them, I thought, let's at least understand the groups that those things fall into. Uh, All of them uh, that I've ever seen uh, can be answered, Uh, but they're different kinds of discrepancies, errors, contradictions, what you ever want to call them, uh, they fall into a few major categories, and they take a little bit of study, and they take something I put in the hand out there, they take a desire to understand. I mean, you've got to want to spend the time studying to, to work it out and understand it. If you don't want to, if you just want to make a list of things that look wrong, you can do that pretty quickly. Uh, the other thing I said is that if you spend a little bit of time studying, the explanation is usually pretty simple. Uh, every one of these categories is pretty simple explanation to the things that people say are incorrect. Now, I didn't say it wasn't time-consuming. Sometimes you got to dig quite a ways. Uh, you've got to go read some history. You've got to find some scholars that have studied this before, perhaps, uh, you got to work at it a little bit, but I've never found one yet that couldn't be answered. 
in a very, very plausible way to disprove that it's any kind of contradiction. So I thought, I know we could do a million of them and you wouldn't remember all the details, but maybe the major categories will ring a bell when you hear somebody talking about contradictions. So let's do a couple of these tonight. The first one is translation difficulties. Uh, And to really spend much time on that, we could talk about translations and what uh, they're essential for. Uh, Any language, when translated, has some differences in it, depending on who translates it. I don't know how many of you took foreign language in school, but when you had to translate a passage or a paragraph, uh, everybody in the room didn't agree, did they? They said it a little different way. Uh, Sometimes they said it a lot different way. Uh, They didn't get the translation right at all. Uh, But translating either from a foreign language into English or verse visa, expressing it is a matter of opinion sometimes. How How do I say this sentence So it makes sense. And we've talked about translations before. A a literal Greek to English translation is the most accurate, but it's real hard to read. Because Greek words weren't in the same order as English words are. So you can read it, but you can't understand it very well. So any translation has those kind of things in it. And that's where a lot of people's list of errors come from. Uh, Here is an example I put on your handout. Uh, a good commentary will usually point this out. Uh, the Greek, they'll put a Greek or Hebrew scholar in there that says, here's what this means and why. Uh, one example that's on our Bible correspondent students list, if I remember right, is Acts 9-7 in the story about Paul's conversion. Acts 9-7 says that the men heard Jesus. Okay? And Acts 22.9 says they didn't hear Jesus. Okay? Well, that's kind of how these discrepancies, contradictions, errors work. Uh, they just list these two things. They say you look in one verse and it says some men heard Jesus. You read another account in another verse and it says they didn't hear Jesus. So you say, well, that sounds like an error. (laughs) Sounds like something's wrong there. So you get your Bible out and you open up Acts 9-7 and you see it really does say that. It says, Paul states uh, that the people traveling with him, it says, hearing a voice but seeing no man. Okay, So they heard Jesus but they couldn't see him. And then in Acts 22-9 when Jesus himself, or Paul himself tells the story, He says, they heard not the voice of him that spoke to me. Sounds like a contradiction, doesn't it? Well, if you go to a decent commentary, a decent study Bible, uh, even just Google this, Acts 22.9, verses 9-7, and there will be a site that will explain it. And here's what one Greek scholar said about it. Uh, W.F. Arndt, he said, the verb to hear is not the same in those passages. Now, it means hear, so if you're translating Greek and you don't know real well, you'd put hear in both places. Okay, 
But he goes on to explain that the word in 9-7, a Greek word that means to hear, expresses that something is being heard or that sound is reaching the ear. You're just hearing a noise. You're receiving some kind of noise. The word that's in 22.9 is a little different Greek word that still means to hear, but it expresses that you understand what you're hearing, that there's a mental uh, understanding of it. And when we hear that, uh, we know exactly what he's talking about, don't we? We do that every day. Lots of times when I'm teaching class on Wednesday night or something, and somebody makes a comment back there, I'll look over and I'll say, I didn't hear you. Well, that's kind of stupid, isn't it? I heard them, or I wouldn't look over there and address them. I heard something. I heard a noise. But I didn't understand it. I didn't get it. So, come again. What'd you say? That's the two different Greek words. Okay. So, in one passage in Acts 9, uh, 7, it says they heard something. But then Paul says they didn't understand what they heard. Okay. So, like I said, a little bit of study, very plausible explanation, uh, translation difficulty, where if the translation that whoever's reading from would have said in Acts 22.9, the men didn't understand the voice that was speaking. Then we'd have got it. Okay. Second kind or uh, major category of discrepancies, errors, is when different witnesses are talking about the same story. Uh, We get that a lot in the four Gospels. The four Gospels are four biographies written about the same man, written by four different people. Any of you that have ever read any biographies of some president or anybody else understand the problem. Uh, Three or four different people writing books about the same guy don't all tell the story the same way. Now, they do the best research they can and all of that, but they don't get it the same sometimes. Now, the difference is these four guys in this book are inspired. The Holy Spirit was watching over them, but they still witnessed it from different perspectives. They had different sources of information. The Holy Spirit didn't make them write down exactly the same thing. If he did, we only need one gospel. Well, we've got four. We've got four different men that wrote to four different audiences, stressing different parts of Jesus' life, and they reported some of the events in a little different way. Now, if you just take one account out of Matthew and one account out of Luke and read it, it looks like there's a discrepancy. But if you put all of them together, they always fit. They always work. The classic illustration is a car wreck. Two cars run into each other in an intersection, and the police get there, and they interview all the witnesses. And one guy was on that corner, and one guy was on this corner, and one guy was on this corner, and they all tell it a little bit different. Well, you go talk to all of them, and you put the story together, and you got the whole story. 
Uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John tell it from a different perspective. Some of it they were eyewitnesses to. Some of it they talked to an eyewitness about it. Um, they got different sources, but they and they stress different things. The example I put down, and this is once again off one of those lists, uh, the Gerasene demoniac. Uh, one account says there were two men, crazy guys in the cemetery, and another story says there was one crazy guy in the cemetery. Well, if you read Matthew 8 and Luke 8, uh, uh, well, Matthew and Luke both say two, and then Mark says one, uh, the answer is what they're telling. Okay. Uh, Matthew and Luke are kind of telling the whole story that there were two demon-possessed men in the cemetery. And uh, Mark when he's telling the story, he's telling more about Jesus interacting with the one that obviously was the spokesman of the two. He doesn't say there weren't two. He doesn't say there was only one crazy guy there. He says there was a demoniac there, and Jesus talked to him. Okay, The other guy, I don't know what he was doing. I don't know where he was or how he participated or not, and it doesn't matter. Mark told about the one that dealt with Jesus. Okay. So, once again, um, a lot of the discrepancies come from that. The answer to most of those is to get a good harmony of the Gospels. Uh, there are a number of scholars who have gone through all four Gospels and put them in order, tied them together. Uh, where they're talking about one story, he tells... He, prints that part of the story from every gospel that covers it. As you go through that, you'll see there's a lot of pages where there's only one gospel that talks about it. Not a lot, but there's some that only one gospel talks about. There's some that two gospels talk about. There's some that there will be three columns. And there's very few, actually, where all four gospels tell the exact same story or report on the same story. In fact, I got a question the other day from another Bible that uh, surprised me. It was the uh, parable, I can't remember now what parable it was. Lost it. Uh, I'll tell you next week. But anyhow, some guy wrote in and said, uh, what's, why is this one so important? Because all four Gospels report it. And I thought, well, there's a whole lot of parables that all four Gospels report. Well, I looked it up. That parable is the only one that all four Gospels report. So I learned something. Uh, <laughs> one benefit of the program is I learn something every once in a while. Anyhow, uh, there's very few things that all four Gospels report on. But if you get a good harmony of the Gospels, and it's not that much fun to read, but it's good to check <laughs> stories and see who says what about it. So uh, that's another large group is perspective of different witnesses. Okay, let me just brush over this archaeological thing because it's interesting, and then we'll uh, quit there and we'll cover it more when we start next week. Uh, this used to be a bigger deal than it is now, and what I said in the handout is there are fewer of these errors the longer archaeologists dig. <laughs> 
what the story is, is especially back in the 1800s, there was a lot of higher criticism of the Bible, and a lot of scholars were saying, well, Samuel mentions this town, and we know, we don't know of any town like that. So Samuel made that up. The Bible's wrong. Uh, Moses reported about this people or that people, and we don't know about any tribes like that. So Moses was wrong. He made it up. So there were a whole big list of archaeological kind of uh, historical critiques of the Bible. But what happened is the more and more archaeologists dug things up, the more and more they found. And they never found anything that disproved the Bible. Everything they found that was mentioned in the Bible proved the Bible. So the more and more we dig, the more and more we find. Uh, One of the classics is, if you go back and get a book out of the 1800s, critics of the Bible will make a huge deal about 1 Kings 9.15. It says that Solomon built three cities, Hazor, Megiddo, and Gezer. And 1 Kings 4.26 said that he had thousands of horses and chariots. Well, the critics say, well, or they did say, uh, we don't know anything about cities like that. There's nowhere in history you can read about a city called Megiddo or Gezer or Hazor except in the Bible. So it's obviously made up. No such thing. Solomon didn't do that. And the other critics said there's no way Solomon could have had that many horses and chariots. That's just way too much for any kind of king to have. Uh, That's ridiculous. So that's what the critical books said in the 19th century. Uh, Then in the 1930s, some archaeologists got around to that area, and they dug up Hazor and Megiddo and Gezer. And all three of them were filled with hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of horse stables. And the critics don't criticize that anymore. Uh, The Bible was exactly right when it talked about that. Uh, So that's kind of the synopsis of archaeological kind of critique. Uh, The more we find, we prove the Bible. And like I said, there used to be a whole lot of them. Somebody critiqued, uh, well, I won't go into them tonight, but we'll get into some some more next week. Okay, Uh, we'll cover some of the other uh, major topics, and then we'll spend a little more time on science and archaeology probably than... Uh, we would have if we'd have tried to finish tonight. So we'll we'll fill the week up next week. Uh, but let's stop there. It's be a good time to uh, take a break and get ready for the the kindergarten presentation. Uh, the lesson is yours, but uh, we don't know who's here. Uh, we don't know what your needs are in life, and maybe there's somebody here that uh, needs to respond to the Lord's invitation. Maybe here needs somebody needs to talk to the family about uh, problems in their life that they want prayers or help with, and we always take time to make that available to you. We're going to sing a song of invitation. Uh, you're invited to come if you've got anything on your heart or anything that you need from this family. Let's stand and sing. If you need to come, come. <laughs> 